Guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Stephen Covey's Speed of Trust. Guys, we're going over managing risks today. And you know what? We're, we're I'm telling you, we're nearing the end of this book. I'm going to end up putting on a webinar for all of you out there who are interested. And if you are interested, there'll be a lot of different things that I'm going to set up for you guys. So just stay tuned for that. But anyways, nonetheless... Oh my God, it's been just such a life-transforming book. But you know, in terms of managing risk, I'm going to refer back to a story that I have already said before, okay? So remember I gave you guys that story about, um, what is it, Stephen's son, right? And letting him drive the family car, okay? If I didn't talk to you guys about the story, well, here it is. There was a big risk. There is a big risk. It's just like my mom, when she let me drive her car that specific night, and then I said, oh, you know what? I'm a little too buzzed, and I let my friend drive it, and the next, you know, we got into a small wreck that ended up, like, messing up the, the, the fender, like, in the, very, uh, in the very front of it. And unfortunately, you know, my mom crying, she thought it was me. She was very angry at me for messing up that car, but it wasn't me. And the next thing you know, she realized, hey, it wasn't me. It was it was uh, my best friend. And I had to take the fault for it or else I knew she was going to try to kill him. But anyways, nonetheless, there is a significant risk when we do such things. And of course, me being just a little bit of a teenager, well, what was I, man? I was like 22 at the time. This was like either during or right after the World Cup. But you know what? Steven said at that time, regardless or not, the risk was somewhat mitigated by the fact that he was generally well-intended and he had taken a, driving, a driver's training class, passed all the exams to get his license, just as I did. And so in addition to that, both him and his son had an agreement, okay? And, and, and that provided, you know, clear consequences for the bad choices that he would, you know, that he could potentially make. And you know what? Steven, he actually made a bad decision by driving too fast. And with the agreement in place, he was the one who primarily had to deal with the consequences of his choice. Was this smart trust? He believes it was. Why? Well, it was smarter than alternatives of extended trust unconditionally, as I stated in Zone 1, or not extending trust at all. See, guys, to break this down, in parenting, you're always going to deal with issues with extended trust to children. My mom did. You know, I remember that she would call us every hour on the hour to check and see if we hadn't burned the house down. Um, by driving, I remember, I remember my mom ended up like she passed out in broad daylight, uh, because it was just damn too hot. Of course it was like 48 degrees and she broke her ankle and I had to drive her everywhere. But you know what? She ended up building and extending that smart trust to me because she knew how I drove. Now, when it came to my older brother, she did not trust him and she was never able to trust him. Why? Because she knew firsthand how he drove. Does that make any sense? So it could be a big it's going to be a big roller coaster nonetheless it's an experience and you know what it's all part of the maturing process and steven said he said he found it helpful as a parent to make a conscious effort to stay in zone 2 to have a high propensity to trust but also to do the analysis so that you extend trust in a way that encourages and helps a child take trust seriously and, of course, growing the ability to handle a stewardship responsibility. So, 
or I'm sorry, well, you know, a stewardship responsibly. So again, different dimensions. You have the the core dimensions such as integrity, intent, capabilities, and then again, you have the results that follow up. But with this, the dividends, they form those high trust relationships. And you know what? With the specific situations, the risk, character, competence, everything involved, you're able to maximize those dividends and minimize the risk. Now, again, his son ended up driving too fast. Yes, big problem. But you know what? If he did not do what was, of course, stated in, um, what is it, in zone two, he would have had a massive problem, right? By going to zone one, you know, trying to extend that trust unconditionally or not, you know, giving him trust at all whatsoever. So why is it that many Trust managers never become leaders. Well, you know what? Throughout this entire process, these podcasts that I've given you guys, I've always said that leadership is getting results in a way that inspires trust. See, many trusted managers, credible people who have a high character and technical competence, never become leaders. Why? Because they don't know how to extend smart trust. They essentially operate in that zone four. And what's the zone for? The zone of suspicion. So let's let me put it this way. Remember the uh, the, the the ordeal that I've had over the past couple of days, right? Now I know exactly who I am. I know what I'm capable of, and I'm get I get unbelievable results. But the problem is the front office, both here where I am right now, and it at the other locations, they are suspicious. They are in that zone four because nonetheless, I told you that if I could get. 20 great students that are so happy, but then one or two complains, they pop right back into that zone four if they weren't already there. See, that's a huge problem. See, they might delegate and assign those tasks and give me the classes and everything, but they extend that fake trust. In other words, it's like giving that lip service, extending trust, but micromanage the activities. They don't fully entrust. And that's one of the biggest problems out there. That's not generating high trust dividends. It's actually taxing the shit out of all relationships. So the number one job of any leader is to inspire trust. It's to release the creativity and capacity of individuals to give their best to create a high trust environment. And of course, in a way that they can actually work with others effectively. And this is true both at home and at work. So, how can you begin to inspire trust? Is it by doing things we've been talking through throughout this book? Okay, of course. So, let's get into this. First, you inspire trust by starting with yourself and your own credibility, the four cores. Second, you can inspire trust by consistently behaving in trust-building ways with other people, the 13 behaviors that I've actually gone over. If you guys haven't heard it, you need to go back down to the behaviors, And, of course, this is including the purposefully and wisely extended trust to others, the smart trust. See, in a leadership role, you can use those four cores and the 13 behaviors to create the alignment in your organization. Reputation in the marketplace, contribution to the world. And as you do those things, you will get results in a way that inspires the confidence and trust. See, some leaders have detail-oriented styles that, 
while they're not very, you know, they're micromanagement, you know, it, it, it's still not trusting whatsoever. So considering the taxes of low trust, it's wise for all leaders to think about the way their style is perceived and for those who are more detail-oriented to make the extra effort to communicate and practice a fundamental propensity to trust. So I hope you guys understand this in a sense. In order to be a leader, you have to go back to the four course. You have to go to the 13 behaviors and you need to start documenting everything. Ask yourself all of the questions and look at even some of the relationships that you're in every day. I told you, look, you got to ask yourself, what zone are you in? Are you extending fake trust? Is it being taxed? Are there dividends? Is it high? Are, do you have high trust relationships? It's kind of like what's happening between uh, myself and another um, entrepreneur that I know. You know, I believe that there is a little bit of suspicion that's going on. And my growing suspicion for him is going up more and more. And then I have to ask myself, you know what? Okay, what is it that's going on? I need to hurry up and figure this out or this could be a growing problem. And if it's a growing problem, guess what? You already know what's going to happen. So again, I could have done this with the last employee that I had employed, right? But I didn't. See, I could have used these steps and I could have mentored her along the way, but I didn't. And I'm not regretful for it. It's just a learning process. So no, I, now I know what to do next. And this is what you should do too. So with that being said, guys, thank you for tuning in to another, of course, Stephen Covey podcast. And guys, we're going to be getting into the last episode. So stay tuned, stay ready, and get ready to learn. I'm your host as always, over and out.